Well, we find ourselves in week three of our series, Relationship Goals, where we've been exploring different ways in which we can invest more deeply in friendships and in our spousal relationships, whatever they be, that we can grow deeper during this month. And we began the series by talking about how we commit to each other, but also how we go deeper as we know ourselves, right? Last week, we talked about that learning a little bit more about us helps us engage in a relationship. And we talked about the week before how we bear each other's burdens and vulnerability and honesty and openness. That the Disney image of what it means to be a, you know, you know, married and happily ever after, or in those friendships happily ever after, isn't always as glamorous as it is when boots hit the ground, right? And so today, we're going to turn to, I think, one of the most beautiful depictions of relationship within the entire Bible, and that's in the story of Ruth and Naomi. And before we go a little bit further, and and mind you, this isn't a romantic relationship that we're learning from. This is a deep friendship that I think all of us can grow from. But to learn a little bit more about what is going on in this text, I cannot help but help you with a little bit of Hebrew if you didn't know it already. Because it's fascinating. This story is one, if you take Hebrew in seminary or college, or if you took it, you know, growing up Jewish or whatever it is, that this is a perfect story because it's meticulously crafted to be a beautiful narrative piece. And the words, everything that's chosen with it is chosen with intention. And and we began with the beginning of the story. And even if if you start to read through it in the Hebrew, you start to see these words that just stand out. And then all of a sudden turn your ear to be like, I'm going to pay a little bit more attention to that. So let me depict a little bit of what's going on if you didn't know Hebrew and didn't study this text before. The story begins in Bethlehem. Bethlehem's meaning is land of bread, right? Bethlehem means land of bread. And all of a sudden, we hear that this couple from Bethlehem have to leave their homeland because there's a famine in the land. So they have to leave from the place of bread to go off to find something else. And they go to the place that no one would ever want to go to, that no one would ever expect someone from Judah to go to, and that is the land of Moab. Mind you, the name of the man in this relationship is Emimelech, which literally means my God is king. So the man, my God is king, and his family have to leave the land of bread and go and search for sustenance and food. And then the man whose name was my God is king ends up dying, leaving his wife without the vulnerable net, without the security net that at the time they would have had. And so the daughters of this family take, do what no daughter, or no sons do what no sons should ever do, which is marry Moabite women. Any reader that knew a little bit more about Book of Deuteronomy, Book of Numbers, would have known that God had some very clear opinions about marrying these sorts of people. So they weren't supposed to marry, and God came down and gave rules and regulations about Moabite women and people not being able to worship in the sanctuary. I mean, this was not who you marry. And then on top of that, the two sons' names meant sickly 
and frail. <laughs> so this guy goes from the land of bread and honey to Moab, and his name is my goddess king, only to have his son, sickly and frail, die when he dies, right? You can start to see this picture that's painted. It's really this beautiful picture that's being painted. But then it all hinges, it all hinges on these three women of the story. Because when sickly and frail do exactly what you expect them to do in the story, which is no longer be there, it's these three women that are left. And they do what women in that time had to do, which is find a security net for them. If they no longer were tied to a household with children, they had to often glean at the farms, you know, so where farmers would leave parts of their produce out in the field and they would go off and pick what was left over just to have enough food. And so Naomi says to her daughters, Orpah and Ruth, go back, go back and be with your people. I'm going to go back to my country where at least I might be able to glean produce after the farmer. She doesn't say that, but that's one of the things that she means. And we know she was going to do that because later in the story, that's exactly what they do. And Orpah does what any wise person would do goes to the security net. She at first says, no, I want to be with you, and I'm not going to return with you. But then she decides, yeah, Naomi, you're probably right. As long as it doesn't offend you, I ought to go back and be where at least I'll have food and people to take care of me. And so over and over again within this first part of this book, Ruth, we hear this phrase, shuv in Hebrew, which means to return. Later on, it kind of has the same notion as repentance, kind of turn the 180 degrees and go the other way, which is literally what they were doing, going from the land of Moab that was evil and nothing good could come of it, to turn to the land of Judah, the land of God's people, to go back to the land of bread. And so they turn back. Naomi turns back and says again to Ruth, follow your sister. It's just the most important decision you could make. It makes the most sense. Go with her. But what we find in Ruth is not that. Instead, she goes on this long monologue to Naomi, and she says, I will not leave you. Your people will become my people. Your God will become my God. Where you are buried... I, too, will be buried. And it's a beautiful depiction of the way in which this unit, this relationship, becomes a new home for the two of them. Going back to Israel, going back to Bethlehem, did not mean the two of them would have security, did not mean the two of them would, you know, know that they would be able to survive there. It was the wrong decision for Ruth, but through the commitment of their relationship, we find as the story unfolds the beauty of this newly forged home that was created, not out of security or what made sense, but in the commitment. In fact, later the the Hebrew says of their love for one another, they call it hesed which is probably one of the most profound ways in which we can describe God's love. 
Hesed means faithful, steadfast love. It's the sort of love that's unshakable, unmovable, doesn't change no matter the circumstances. Hesed is love that's there to last. It's not the love that you question. It's not the love that you are insecure about, whether it will be there after a fight. It is a faithful, steadfast love, as solid as the rocks that we walk upon. In their commitment to one another, they reveal God's commitment to us and our commitments that we make to those we love deeply. They show us what it means to be in this thing called deep friendship. And for Naomi and Ruth, it's friendship of a mother and daughter-in-law. And for us, it can be that same friendship or others or our marital friendships as well. I've said it at the beginning of this series, and so I'm going to say it again, only because we're talking about relationship goals, and I believe it is just so important, which is why I say it at every single wedding I do. And so, and that is a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer to his daughter, or to his niece, on the eve of her wedding. He's writing from jail for all sorts of other reasons, and he writes to his niece before the wedding that he wasn't able to attend, and he says, from this moment forward, it is not your love that, w- or love that will sustain the marriage, but your marriage that will sustain the love. And the reason Bonhoeffer said that was because the feeling of love, the, you know, the one that's kind of paraded around all the time, the, the, thing that, the goal that we're looking for in friendship relationships and marital relations, well, the feeling of love, it comes and goes. Like the tide in the ocean, at times it's, you know, roaring and feeling good, and other times it feels distant and far removed. And if our relationships are sustained by the feeling, well, we might find ourselves insecure about where we are with one another. At times on cloud high, at other times wondering if tomorrow will still be there. But God's love and the love that God calls us to is something different. Hesed, faithful, committed relationship. When we commit to those, so that's what the wedding, that's what Bonhoeffer was talking about. It's not about this love feeling of up and down. It's about the public commitment that is made together. And the commitment that's made together is a commitment that's lived into day in and day out. You know, learning to do the dishes correctly, learning to make life decisions about where you're going to move next, how to support your children as they go through times of trial, the commitments that you make with your friends and with your spouses is what ultimately sustains the marriage and sustains the love. And we see that no clearer than in Ruth's steadfast commitment to Naomi, to Naomi. So that is essential because as we talked about last week about knowing ourselves and as we engage in sort of what we call interpersonal dynamics, one of the issues that hits friends and couples on a regular basis is when there's a conflict 
or when there's a, a long-standing trial for a, this, a relationship, if you feel at danger of losing what you love, you act all sorts of crazy, <laughs> right? If you feel in danger of losing what you love, you, you begin to get insecure and make poor decisions or you put on your defense, you, you know, put on your guard, you kind of push back, you, you do things that isn't necessarily what you want to be doing because you're in fear of losing what you love, which is the commitment of the friendship of the spouse And so I've seen over and over again couples that get themselves into tizzies because of, not because they don't want to be together, but because they're in fear that they might lose one another. And out of the fear, we make decisions that don't fit the relationship sometimes. And so I say that because knowing ourselves helps us engage And knowing a committed relationship will not go away tomorrow gives us the space, the space to be free to argue, to disagree, to feel pain, to carry each other's burdens. So I'm going to add just another piece to this, because this is one of the things that we talked about in that boost weekend. Remember, I talked about last week. If you didn't catch up, that's fine. We do this week-on retreat for premarital couples in North Carolina. We partnered with the School of Psychology and the Presbyterian Church, and this was one of the things that we talked about is this commitment that we make and, and being firm and steadfast in that. But one of the keys to the commitment is not surprising. You want to know what it's called? Feeding the relationship. Feeding the relationship. And, and it was surprising because I, I gave two talks. One was a leveler and editor that we talked about last week. And then the other talk that I gave on the regular was feeding the relationship. And what I mean by that is that what are the activities you do with your friend, your spouse, whoever that those, we began this journey by talking about those meaningful relationships. What are the activities you do with that person that you leave more connected afterwards? And I, I told couples that what we do is I want you to write down five or ten things on your own. Go do this. Five to ten things. And then the other, do the same. And then now come together and let's look actually what there we agree upon, right? Because as much as you think that your spouse loves to watch football all day on Saturday because college football is the most important thing in the world, maybe your spouse doesn't feel the most connected to you at the end of that time. Or maybe they do. I don't know. Every couple is different. Every friendship is different. But it was surprising the ways in which the conversations that would spark from these friendships and these soon-to-be spousal relationships, when they literally just wrote down what was most life-giving to their relationship and then talked about it. And and literally, any premarital counseling I do with couples now, I make them do this activity because it's, one, just so meaningful and so fun. And then what I say every time, and you all know this because life changes, Do it again in five years, in 10 years. Because I sure know that the ways in which I feel life and connect to my spouse, Ashley, 
has drastically changed post kids, <laughs> right? No longer can we take these long walks on the beach or go a weekend getaway, just us, super easy with no questions asked. I mean, the things that you could do at one stage in your life, you cannot do at another stage of your life. And, and our bodies changes and our abilities change and everything changes. And so unless we recheck, we might find ourselves more distant not because we're not committed, not because we don't love, not because we haven't said, like, Ruth, I will go with you, Naomi. No, that's not it. It's because we just haven't checked in because that's part of what it means to be in a steadfast commitment is that you continue to nurture that friendship, that relationship. So, Whoever you're thinking of deepening your relationships, the goals that you have this month through this series, I want you to write their name, journal later this week, and then I want you to think about what are those activities, what are those activities that I feel more connected to them afterwards? And I know some of our friendships, this might be a, a different scenario, right? You might not talk about this, like get back in, like a couple's counseling session. But maybe what you do with a friend is you write down the things that you do with that friend that give you life. And now here, here's the challenge. Just invite your friend to do that, right? <laughs> Just invite your friend to do it. And then with your spouse, I invite you to do it a little bit more along the lines of what we talked about. Write it down, and then come together and look at it together. And I promise you, you'll see different priorities, but you'll see the same ones as well. Like, I guarantee, no matter what, Ashley and I do this, even though we haven't done it in a few years, we're both going to have running together at the top of our list because we love to go running together, right? But over the past month, I hadn't been able to run because I had an injury. And so if I'm not able to do one of the things on my list, well, then what else is on the list that we can do to nurture the relationship? Because life changes, and our abilities change, and the circumstances change. But the way we move forward is through communication and commitment. And that's the thing I, I love about the story of Ruth and Naomi. That Naomi, uh, Ruth is the foreigner, remember? Nothing good comes from Moab. Nothing good can come from that place. And yet she becomes the quintessential example of God's love for all of us. She becomes the quintessential of, uh, example of God's love for all of us through her commitment even into a hard journey that was ahead. Going back with Naomi to the land of bread did not sound as glorious as the name had. It came with unknowns, uncertainties. But isn't that life together in friendships? We have no idea what tomorrow will bring. We have no idea the challenges, the trouble that we'll meet on this road and this journey called life. But it's as we commit to go there, to bear our burdens, to sustain the love through the commitment, that we see the love of God at work in this thing called friends. 
And so we see in this foreigner who decided to draw the circle wide of commitment and commit to Naomi and to do it day in and day out on the journey and eventually even to find herself gleaning in the fields just to support. They created a home. They created a space where the love of God was revealed. So I want to invite us this morning to pray, and I invite our praise team to come up as they lead us in the song, uh, Draw the Circle Wide. In the conversation of how Ruth drew that commitment broader than any expectations and went deeper and further than anyone would have expected and then revealed the love of God to us.